The House and Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. This week in the House, the House will return Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up three bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House may consider H.J. Res. 27. That's a veto override attempt to try to override President Biden's veto of the Congressional Review Act Resolution of Disapproval overturning the Biden administration's redefinition of the waters of the United States. On Wednesday, the House will consider H.J. Res. 42, disapproving the action of the District of Columbia Council in approving the Comprehensive Policing and Justice Reform Amendment Act of 2022. Then the House will consider H.R. 743, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act of 2023. On Thursday, the House will complete consideration of H.R. 743, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act of 2023. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Radha Iyengar Plum to be a Deputy Undersecretary of the Department of Defense. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I anticipate we'll see votes on Amy Lefkowitz-Solomon to be an Assistant Attorney General at the Department of Justice, and a vote on S-870, the Fire Grants and Safety Act. Now to Dianne Feinstein. California Senate, I'm sorry, California Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein, 89 years old and recently diagnosed with shingles, has missed the last 60 votes in the Senate. In a Senate as closely divided as the current Senate is, with 51 Democrats and 49 Republicans, her absence is noted and problematic for her party. Her absence is especially problematic related to her service on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is split with 11 Democrats and 10 Republicans. Her absence from Judiciary Committee business over the last two months has meant that the committee cannot advance to the Senate floor any nominations because nominations require a majority vote to advance to the Senate floor. There are currently 12 judicial nominees who have had confirmation hearings and are waiting for committee votes. Two House Democrats, including one of her own colleagues from California, have already called on Feinstein to resign her seat. Feinstein has announced she will not run for re-election next year, but she wants to hold on to her seat and serve out the rest of her term. To fend off the demands that she resign, she has asked Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to temporarily replace her on the Judiciary Committee so committee Democrats can move nominations to the floor for consideration while she's still recovering from her bout with the shingles. That can be done one of two ways, either by unanimous consent or by meeting the 60-vote threshold. The unanimous consent request is unlikely to survive. Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, a member of the Judiciary Committee, signaled over the weekend that he would likely object to the request for unanimous consent. That means Schumer would have to find at least 10 Republican senators willing to provide the votes necessary to move the measure. And given that one of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell's primary concerns has been his mission to move the federal judiciary in a more conservative direction, I'm not at all sure he would find it comfortable to make it easier for Democrats to stack the judiciary with Biden-nominated liberals. On many, many matters of procedure and tradition and civility, McConnell can be found looking for ways to work across the aisle. 
but I think the subject matter of this particular request may be so odious to him that he disapproves of it and makes clear to his fellow Republicans that this is a problem for Democrats to work out amongst themselves. Now to illegal immigration. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Lawlessness begets lawlessness. The Biden administration is the perfect example. On Thursday, President Biden announced his plans to extend Obamacare access to some illegal immigrants, saying they deserve the same access to health care as American citizens. The proposed new regulation would give so-called DREAMers access to Medicaid benefits if they meet the low-income threshold. In addition, DREAMers would be allowed to buy Obamacare health insurance policies on the Obamacare exchange. Speaking of these illegal immigrants, Biden said, quote, they're American in every way except on paper, end quote. Now to the debt ceiling. In a move intended to increase their negotiating leverage with the Biden White House over the upcoming debt ceiling negotiations, House Republican leaders, led by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, are working hard to convince their Republican colleagues to support a plan to raise the debt ceiling for one year in exchange for significant spending cuts and revenue raisers. Their hope is to put a bill on the floor of the House in May. Once they pass it, it will show Biden and Senate Democrats that any legislation to raise the debt ceiling must have strings attached. They have not finalized a plan yet, but word is they're looking for a 10-year budget that would generate three to $4 trillion in savings over the course of the 10-year budget window. Speed McCarthy plans to reveal more of his thinking during a Monday speech in New York. He'll be addressing the New York Stock Exchange. Among the provisions under consideration are rolling back domestic discretionary spending to FY 2022 levels and clawing back already appropriated but unspent COVID relief funds, which runs into the hundreds of billions of dollars. GOP leaders also believe they can raise revenue by implementing oil and gas drilling permitting reform. Treasury projects the government's ability to write checks will run out sometime in June. Now to a CBO report on the 2023 deficit. On Monday of last week, the Congressional Budget Office released a report on the deficit for the first six months of the 2023 fiscal year. According to CBO, the deficit has ballooned to $1.1 trillion for the first six months of the year. That's $430 billion higher than this time a year ago. Government spending was 13% higher than last year, and revenues were down by 3% compared to last year. This is hugely significant. When the Biden administration presented its proposed budget for FY 2023, CBO estimated that the deficit for the entire year would be $1.4 trillion. If we continue to spend money in the second six months of the fiscal year, as we did in the first six months, we'll be on track to have a $2.2 trillion deficit in FY 2023, almost 60% higher than projected just a year ago. Government spending is out of control. Now to the House GOP versus Alvin Bragg. Earlier this morning, House Judiciary Committee Republicans opened a field hearing in New York City on victims of violent crime in Manhattan. According to the committee, the purpose of the hearing is to examine how Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's 
pro-crime anti-victim policies have led to an increase in violent crime and a dangerous community for New York City residents. The field hearing is the latest episode in the ongoing turmoil between D.A. Bragg and House Republicans, many of whom see Bragg as nothing more than a liberal political activist armed with the power to arrest, indict, and try someone, regardless of whether or not there's a good reason for it. They've already made clear their disdain for his 34-count indictment of former President Donald Trump. Last week, a group of Republican congressmen, led by Arizona Republican Andy Biggs, introduced legislation that would prohibit any state or local prosecutor from using federal taxpayer dollars to investigate a president. They also introduced another bill that singles out Bragg's office and requires it to send back any federal funding it used. The legislation has a clever acronym. It's called the Accountability for Lawlessness in Our Neighborhoods Act, or the Alvin Act. It could make a dent in Bragg's office budget. According to Bragg's office, the Manhattan DA receives roughly $630,000 annually from federal taxpayers and has access to use another $200,000 by next year through various grants. Meanwhile, Bragg is firing back. Last week, he filed a lawsuit in an attempt to block a subpoena issued by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan to one of Bragg's former assistant district attorneys. Bragg accuses Jordan, who's heading an investigation into Bragg's conduct, of improperly interfering with his ongoing prosecution. And that's our Washington Report for this week.